Welcome to Bridging Chicago, a podcast that aims to connect our listeners to Chicago's business, community, cultural, and charity leaders. Brought to you by the SATC Solutions Center. You can connect with us on Instagram or Twitter where our handle is at Bridging Chicago. For more information, including our email, visit us online at satcsolutions.com. Be sure to rate and subscribe to Bridging Chicago on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to this podcast. Hello, and thank you for tuning in to another episode of Bridging Chicago. My name is Savannah Roundtree, and I'll be your host today. And joining me, we have April Booz, the Marketing Communications Manager at the Center for Enriched Living. April, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. Um, so obviously we're going to talk about for the, the Center for Enriched Living in a little bit, but I want to jump right in and get some background on you first, April. Um, I always do a little research on our um, guests, and I saw that you were a student at DePaul University, which leads me to usually my first question of our guests. Um, were you a native Chicagoan or did you come in um, to go to DePaul? Actually, DePaul is what brought me to the area. I am um, from Elkhart, Indiana, smallish town, I guess, uh-huh. <laughs> um, near Notre Dame. Oh, okay. um, but yeah, I, I came here uh, to DePaul, and I've been here ever since. <laughs> yeah. Um, was there something in particular that drew you to Chicago? Um, well, I, I remember in high school, we had a teacher who always said you want to be far enough away from your family so they can't just pop up anywhere (laughs) but you don't want to be so far that if you have an emergency they can't reach you in time so Chicago or Indianapolis were (laughs) uh, the two places I looked yeah I think that's great advice I um I think I sort of took that unwittingly as well I wanted to get away from my family because I knew if I was close enough they would definitely be showing up and that's not what I wanted right Um, you want to try to be independent exactly (laughs) yeah um and I saw that while you're at DePaul you got your degree in communications and marketing was this something that you were always drawn to or how did you um come apart come upon that major um, I think I was always kind of drawn to just the the storytelling aspect of marketing and just being able to, um, you know, communicate. Like, you learn all these different theories and communications and just having a message and being able to sell that message um, and who to sell it to. It, it just always um, was something that I was drawn to. So I... I loved my time at um at DePaul yeah um I noticed you just mentioned storytelling as an aspect of um you know communications and marketing and I noticed when I was looking at your LinkedIn profile you called yourself an organizational storyteller so I wonder if you could tell me a little bit more about what that means yeah um I, you know, because every organization has a story to tell. Um, That is pretty much at the heart of what I do. It's telling um, the story of why uh, the Center for Enriched Living right now where I work is so vital to the community. Um, And 
telling those stories and connecting with people because that's really the key about storytelling is you're really connecting with people it's how you know <laughs> humans have connected to each other throughout you know however long humans have been here that's how we have maintained um social connections is through that storytelling yeah i really like your emphasis on um connecting humans through communication and marketing because i feel like sometimes that title or job description can sort of just sound like people sort of blow it off as just like email blasts or updating Twitter or whatever, you know, but it's really about a lot more than that. And I think that's really evident when you look at um, your sort of career path. When I was looking at LinkedIn, I noticed that your first couple of jobs within marketing were at the Chicago Hearing Society and the Congress of Neurological Surgeons. And then obviously you moved on to the Center of Enriched Living and all of those sort of have um, a through line of not only um, like neurological issues, but sort of more nonprofit work. And I wonder um, if that was, if either of those two fields were something you intended to go into, if that was what you were looking for, or if you just sort of, um, you know, uh, came upon it. I guess I'm basically asking how you got your first job in Chicago. <laughs> yeah, so it's funny. Um, so my first job, I was it's kind of, it's interesting because while I was in college, um, I worked, I guess you would call it a f some kind of finance organization or it's just, you know, little part-time jobs you do here and there, um, while you're in college. And then I graduated, um, in June of 2002, it was the first class after 9-11 and I graduated with a communications degree. <laughs> And so job opportunities were not, uh, let's just say they were hard to come by. Um, so when I found the job at the Chicago Hearing Society, it really put me on a path of, you know, nonprofit work and the mission being bigger than, you know, just making, bringing home a paycheck. And so I, I was there for um, a few years, and then I found um, a job. It was in corporate America, and I lasted there for nine months. <laughs> and then I quickly remembered and got back to, um, you know, nonprofit. And uh, the Congress of Neurological Surgeons, it's an association, so it was a little bit different. It wasn't really the direct service work. It was more association education. Um, working with <laughs> neurosurgeons who are, you know, <laughs> super, super smart. Um, and then when uh, the opportunity at the Center for Enriched Living came about, um, it really brought me back to what I wanted to do, which is tell stories um, for a purpose and um, really have that direct impact and see the mission firsthand. Um, so I, I've been at CEL now for six years, going on seven years, um, and I'm, I'm just so happy <laughs> with the work we do. Yeah, so is that sort of... Um storytelling, personal connections, um, sort of style of 
um, marketing and communications. Is that something that is taught in school or is that something that you more had to work out for yourself as you um, developed in your field? Well, the marketing field is constantly changing, um, especially um, these days with the integration of, you know, marketing tech and digital marketing. A lot of that wasn't even part of my, um, you know, I was in school, I guess now almost 20 years ago, which is Mm -hmm. scary. (laughs) But so the storytelling aspect, that's not new. Um, It's really connecting, um, you know, any product is about, you know, connecting the consumer to um, the product. But the the mission um, is what is what drives me. So as you're talking about mission being involved in your work, um, and now you've been here at the Center of Enriched Learning, you said for um, six years or so now, um, what was it initially about the Center for Enriched Living, or yeah, the Center for Enriched Living that drew you to that position? Um, so it was two things. It was the opportunity to be back in um, a a direct service kind of organization where you can see the impact of your work. So at CEL, um, we have, you know, 400 members. Well, this was obviously before the pandemic, Mm -hmm. but 400 members coming into the building throughout the week in the day, in the evening, in the weekend. So if you were having a bad day, if something was, you know, deadlines, whatever, you're always drawn back and you can have conversations with the people and why you're there. So it was a constant reminder of, of the importance of the work. And on another you know, a more personal level, I have um, a nephew who has cerebral palsy um, back in Indiana. So just seeing the opportunities that we work for here, um, it just, it was so touching to me, um, knowing that, you know, he lives in Indiana, so he can't come here. But Mm -hmm. I always think about what, um, how much fun he would have here. So yeah, it's always nice to be able to add, you know, a, a personal mission to your job mission as well. Um, I think we could take a step back now and um, just give me sort of the quick pitch of what exactly the Center for Enrich, Enriched Living is. <laughs> so uh, CEO, the Center for Enriched Living is... Um, it is where people with intellectual and developmental disabilities come and they have uh, programs that enrich their lives. And we do that through social enrichment opportunities. So we have evening and weekend programs. <clears throat> we have a day program, and that's for uh, young adults 22 and older who um, have exited the school system and who, you know, in Illinois, there aren't, unfortunately, there aren't a lot of options for um, young adults with uh, developmental disabilities once they exit the school system. So our Reach Adult Date program um, helps with that. And then we also offer employment, well, helping to find employment, keep employment, 
um, because there's an 85% unemployment rate for people with intellectual and developmental disabilities. So we work with them. Um, it's not a one-size-fits-all fit all program. It's really personalized on what their hopes, wishes, and dreams are. So um, we really try to enrich their lives. And um, I guess it all ties back to our mission, which is three key words, um, include, uh, achieve, enjoy. So to be fully included in the community, achieve personal goals, and have a good quality of life. Yeah, um, I was doing some research on the on CL um, before this podcast, and I really enjoyed learning about the mission of CEL, of seeing those uh, you know keywords of achievement, inclusion, um, and, and enjoyment for individuals with developmental disabilities is very clearly enriched in your in um, the mission and in everything CEL is doing. And I actually um, really enjoyed, I watched um, a little video that was on your website called A Brief History of the CEL, I think, um, and it featured Fern Frank. Um, and I wonder if maybe you want to tell a little bit of the story of um, Fern Frank and how CEL got started. Yeah, so we shot that video for our 50th anniversary, which was uh, two years ago. Um, and it, it's really touching because, you know, back then there, there really weren't any options for people with developmental disabilities. Um, I remember when I, one of my first meetings with Fern Frank, she said, you know, doctors wanted her to, you know, take her son to an institution or something. And that just wasn't something she, she was going to do. She was a teacher. She was an educator. So she, there was um, a community center in Albany Park, and she went with her son, and there was a, another child, and they went and asked if, you know, their kids could participate as well. And the community, the uh, social worker, Lynn Albany, she was our first executive director, um, she scrambled and said, you know, okay, we'll figure it out as we go. And that's kind of how it got started. And slowly word spread, you know, people kept coming and they, um, that's kind of how CEL started it. And it just kept growing through word of mouth. Yeah, I love to see that sort of um, grassroots sort of aspect of how CEL started. I think somewhere I read it was just uh, started with that social worker helping to integrate these two children into the community center programming. And, you know, like in some ways, it's absolutely heartbreaking that those children didn't already have access, that there was absolutely no way prior to this for them to, um, you know, sort of receive any sort of community programming. And now you have CEL who's serving, um, you know, over 400 people annually, not only including them in programming, but designing programming specifically for them. Um, and so I wonder if you could tell me a little bit about what that sort of programming is that um, people are engaged in at CEL. That's a great question because um, our programs are really based on member feedback and interest. Um, and especially now during the pandemic, like 
<laughs> before all of this, we didn't even have virtual programs. And now we have so many virtual programs they are running like throughout the day and the week. And they're so person-centered because we'll, tr we'll try something based on, you know, somebody wants to do a learn more about the the outer space so there's a, a program called out of this world and you know other members also want to learn about outer space so we really listen to our members and what they want and we design programs based on that um, and prior to the pandemic you know we had programs running in our building um, seven days a week um, there was Monday night bowling, Tuesday night arts, uh, Thursday night was guys night, ladies night, Saturday was just a full day of programs. Um, and then the best thing I think um, is the community aspect because a lot of our programs weren't just in our building. We took our members out into the community because just like you or I would want to go to the mall or go out to dinner, or go to the movies or a play or to a pumpkin farm, that's what our members want to do. And they just want the opportunities to do that. So um, our, our programs really um, are centered on the people who, you know, want to participate. They want to be part of the community. They want to have those opportunities. Yeah, I think that's um, absolutely incredible that you're able to offer them this sort of um, individualized attention and just, you know, we all want to be in charge of our own free time, in charge of what we do with our lives. So it's great that they get that opportunity for um, you know, as you said, personal success and enjoying quality life as well. Um, right. It's, you know, it's like the template for my life, the template for your life. What makes that better? And that's kind of the template we use with our, our members. It's just um, there's so many barriers uh, that people with intellectual and developmental disabilities face, and we are trying to remove those barriers so they can have, um, you know, a, a good quality life. Yeah. So when you're working with um, people this closely, does that um, change the way that you do your job as opposed to maybe um, with the Congress of Neurological Surgeons might be a little less um, personal aspect, which by the way, I wanted to just um, mention that when I was looking at your LinkedIn profile, I saw that listed under your job description at the CL includes um, planning, developing, implementing, and evaluating all of your marketing strategies, which includes print, web, email, social, video, and print publications. So I feel like you are probably very busy and you have to juggle all of this, um, as well as is there, um, just like, is there a different approach when you're dealing with people this closely? <laughs> well, that's, you know, a marketing communications manager's job <laughs> is all and everything. <laughs> um, and it's, it's different. It's two completely different environments. Um, at 
um, my job at the, with the neurosurgeons, like you're, you're dealing with neurosurgeons who are very busy people Mm -hmm. who are very smart, um, and very, they're type A people. Um, and, and it's just a very different interaction. Um, I, um, at CEL, it's it's more personal. It's more fun. <laughs> the numbers are so full of life and just, um, you know, I I just remember prior to the pandemic, just on you know Tuesday afternoons, I'd go out and just sit and have a conversation with the members, and it, it you know it's just talking like we're talking now. Like, what did you have for dinner? What did you do over the weekend? It's just. Um, it's just um, really good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, who would have thought that working with um, a bunch of people just enjoying life would be more fun than working with a bunch of type A neurosurgeons? <laughs> um, you've touched on it a few times thus far, but obviously we are still in the middle of a pandemic. Um, how has that changed um, how CEL operates and also how you're able to operate in your position as a communications manager for CEO. Yeah, it's it's been hard. Um, so, especially for our members, um, because you know, like I mentioned, there were already so many barriers to them being a part of the community. And when the social distancing order and the shelter in place went into play in effect back in March, we closed our doors. We didn't know what we were going to do. Um, we thought we thought we'd be out for two weeks, maybe a month. You know, here we are. It's November, um, and at that point in time, we we hadn't even. St- started the conversation of how are we going to do virtual programs it was something that was in the distant future it was on our radar it was you know maybe next year maybe two years Um, but we really had to pivot and um, keep our members engaged because we were hearing from families just the levels of anxiety um, and we wanted our members to stay connected to each other and and to the you know the familiar the familiarity that they were used to that they depend on Um, so you know three weeks I think after the shutdown we had you know, a calendar of programs and we were offering them free. (laughs) Um, And, uh, you know, there was, (laughs) it was really difficult because there was um, our biggest fundraiser of the year. Um, It's called Chef's Night. We didn't know how that was going to work. That involves a lot of restaurants. Um, And we knew... (laughs) I mean, we know now restaurants are still struggling. They were struggling in May. They're still struggling. Um, so it was just pivot after pivot after pivot. And how, how do you keep all the balls up in the air? So it, it was um, challenging. And then everybody working from home, it just takes so much more time um, to get anything accomplished because everybody, um, we didn't have a big work from home Um, most people were in the office pretty much every day. So now everybody is very disconnected. Um, 
but you know, we have the technology, everybody's still working from home. Well, some of our program people are back in the office. Um, we have a, um, some of our program uh, are up and running in the office. We have s small groups of members in the building um, currently. So slowly but s surely <laughs> we'll get back to normal or a new normal or whatever comes next. Yeah, I think um, we're all familiar with the sort of pandemonium of figuring out how we're all going to work from home, but I'm sure for CEL more than most, um, that was a very difficult transition due to, you know, the very in-person and personal nature of the programming that you offer. Um, have you found that that was a difficult transition for the members to make? Um, how are they handling this switch to a more virtual world? So it's, you know, different for each member. It kind of, you know, everybody is <clears throat> their own person. Some people have um, found it very easy. They love the virtual programs. Others, you know, they don't... Um, they aren't either participating in the virtual programs because again, there's still a lot of barriers involved. It's not just like, um, you know, you or I have a computer. Um, we pay for the internet bill. Um, a lot of our members come from area residential, uh, agencies where, you know, there's maybe five, four or five people who live in, um, a home together and they have a staff to help them but maybe they don't have a computer. Maybe they share the computer. Maybe there's not internet, so they can't connect as easily. Um, we started a tech lending library um, to, you know, potentially help alleviate the problem. Um, so uh, members can still connect, um, but it, it's not without challenges. <laughs> um, but, you know, like I said before, with every problem that we're, we're, we're dealing with, we try to find a solution so our members can still connect. And then, like I said, we did, you know, open our doors. I think it was right before the 4th of July when we started letting very small groups back in the building. And each month, you know, a few more members are ready to take that step back into the building. Um, so, yeah, it's just been... <laughs> managing challenges. Yeah. Do you think that, you know, having that personal connection, you know, physically seeing the smiles on your members' faces when they're engaged in programming, does that sort of inspire you to problem solve, um, you know, maybe uh, quicker than you would be otherwise? <laughs> Definitely. I think it's just because we, we, we're a, we're a small organization. We're, we're known for our, you know, personal touch. We, we really know our members' names. We know who we're dealing with. It's not just um, an unknown person. It's just that's Dan or that's Rachel or that's James. You know, when you know who you're dealing with, you want to make it um, as smooth as transition and you want to make sure that um you're doing your job so that they can continue <laughs> participating um so it really it is the smile at the end of the day like for me because i'm not in the building every day mm -hmm. and i don't <laughs> 
you know, you're, you're on the phone. Sometimes I get calls from members and that's the highlight of my week. Yeah. <laughs> when they call me. Um, do you think that this um, virtual programming is something that is going to stick around for CEL once things get back to, you know, whatever our new normal might be? Definitely. It is something that we um, are really finding um, is it's not only um, fun and good and people are, you know, we just recently started charging for it. Um, we offered it free in March until October. October is when we first started charging a very nominal fee. Mm -hmm. But the beauty is that um, you know, we like to say we don't have geographical boundaries for members who come to CEL um, and in our building, but they're, you know, you have to get there. Right. It all depends on transportation. But with the virtual, there really won't be any geographical boundaries. We can reach new members, you know, all across the country. Um, so it's really exciting. We're, we're looking at how to expand it mm -hmm. um, and what, what that involves. So it's definitely um, sticking around and um, yeah, we're excited. Right. So maybe your nephew can participate in a few uh, CEL programs in the future. Exactly. Um, so, you know, obviously this, you know, quick switch over to virtual programming was a big challenge for you to tackle, but um, in your work at CEL, has there been some other project that was either really challenging or that you just really love to work on? Definitely. So I, I kind of also mentioned our Chef's Night um, mm -hmm. fundraiser. That is one of the... Um, you know, we're not a big gala organization, you know, our nonprofits throw galas. We throw, you know, fun parties, I like to say. Um, Chef's Night is one of the um, most fun events that I've been a part of. Um, so typically, in a typical year when there's not a pandemic, we have about 30 or so restaurants who come and they will offer their uh, tasting, uh, their signature tastings. It could be a food, dinner, drink, dessert. Um, and, you know, 600, 700 people join us and they taste all of the delicious food. We have a short program. Um, and then at the end of the event, we raffle off a car. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. So this year, um, it typically happens in May. Obviously, uh, it, it didn't happen as it normally okay. does. It has turned into a virtual event. Um but that was also a scramble is just, mm -hmm. well, what are we going to do? Yeah. <laughs> what does Chef's Night look like this year? And we're also kind of starting to have that conversation about, well, what does next year look like? Because mm -hmm. who knows what the restaurants look like? Who knows if people will want to gather with 600, 700 people in a room? Um, so that's another pivot is, is what will um, what will next year bring? <laughs> that will be a whole whole new ball game. <laughs> yeah, I think we're all waiting to figure that one out. Uh, right. But if you know this chef night 
happens again, I'm definitely going to get my name on the mailing list for that one. I will definitely <laughs> keep you posted because <laughs> I promise it's it's a lot of fun. Yeah, I mean, you can't say no to, you know, a bunch of tasty menus from, you know, Chicago is one of the best restaurant cities in the world, in my opinion. So um, sounds like a fun night. Um, so just a few more questions wrapping up here about the work that CEL does. Um, from your standpoint, what is really important for us, the Chicago community, to know about the difference that CEL is making in you know, our community? So I think one of our, our most important initiatives over the past three years has been um, our, our employment program. Um, and that is kind of twofold because not only do we work with our members on what their hopes, wishes, and dreams are, like what what does a job, because a lot of our members, you know, they they just, they haven't been told that, or they, they just haven't been, a job is more than, um, it's not always an opportunity for them, is what I'm trying to say. Um, or maybe, you know, their parents are afraid of what a job means because there's, there's the fear element. So we listen to our members about what they want to do, but we also talk to employers about those, <clears throat> those other jobs that maybe it's not, you know, like a, um, some of those tasks that other people have to do that maybe, um, you know, somebody else could do, like filing or shredding. Um, our members are very good at that. And we take those those tasks and put it into a job. We have um, our employment manager, Nick, he talks to different employers to find what those gaps are, what they're missing, and what maybe our members could fill in. Because um, a lot of members aren't necessarily looking for, you know, a 40-hour work week or even a 20-hour work week. Sometimes they just want five hours a week, um, and they want the paycheck because that is, it means so much to them, just that dignity of work and having a job because they see their families or their, you know, siblings. They see um, other people going to work and being um, productive and they, they want those same opportunities. Yeah, I've loved to see this um, sort of employment aspect come out of CEL. Um, growing up, well, and currently still, my dad is actually a special education teacher um, and he used to work in high schools. And I remember um, there's not where I was growing up there, are, or at least we weren't aware of any sort of program uh, similar to CEL. And he, I remember going with him to places like Joanne's Fabric or wherever, and he would sort of look for those tasks that um, people could do, maybe cutting out, you know, links of fabric or something. Um, and, you know, he was just a teacher out doing that on his own, trying to find um, jobs for these kids. And so I'm glad that there's sort of um, an institutional aspect of people um, trying to find that as well, because having a job, you know, as you said, even just for five hours a week really can make a world of difference to um, individuals. 
Mm-hmm. It's so important. And I just remember, um, so Liz, she is, um, she's our receptionist and she um, was one of our first members in the employment program. And one of her talents that nobody had any idea about, she is an excellent public speaker. She would probably be better at this podcast than I am. (laughs) Um, She gave a speech at um, a networking group a few years ago And then she gave a speech at our chef's night. And then she gave a speech at our golf event. She's appeared on Fox News. She was in a video. And it's just been, she speaks from the heart and she tells her story of what it meant to her just to be called an employee, Mm -hmm. just to be part of an employee, a team, and to come to like, um, you know, the staff retreats. Everybody hates staff retreat. <laughs> Liz loves staff retreat. She loves being included. And hearing her speak, it just, it's so powerful just to think about, you know, how people just, they just want to be included. Mm-hmm. They want an opportunity. And it's not like a charity case. It's She's doing work. She's right. doing a job. And she's getting paid for it. So um, it, it's just like not minimizing what our members can do they are they have so much to offer they just need the opportunity um so i think that's just been so powerful to see yeah i can only imagine um so you know sort of going along with that what can we as you know the public the greater uh chicago community how can we help um, CEL make a difference? So a couple ways. One is we're always accepting donations, um, obviously, and especially now. I mean, I, everybody's been so hurt in so many different ways by this pandemic. Um, but we also, we, we serve so many people and, um, every dollar helps. And, and the good thing about CEL is that, even if it's a $5 donation, we'll use that $5. Another way is volunteer. Um, Our members love meeting new people, especially even now with um, the virtual programs. Um, We do have a few small, I mean, some volunteers are in the building. I, I, I can't remember how many they're letting in, but I know that as we keep opening slowly but surely, our, our volunteer needs will get back to where they were. But that is an excellent way to help. And then also with our employment program, if you know somebody who works at, you know, um, smaller businesses, um, larger companies, just start thinking about those, those tasks that maybe um, a, a person with a devel- developmental disability can do. Um, and have a conversation with our employment manager, Nick. Um, those are three excellent ways is just start thinking about how people can open your doors a little bit wider to bring more people with developmental disabilities to the table. Definitely. Those, you know, those jobs are definitely out there. I think, unfortunately, it's just 
um, an aspect in our society that gets extremely overlooked. And so I'm glad that we can, um, you know, bring this attention and hopefully get a few more people out there. Um, so is there, you know, we talked a little bit about the um, future of virtual programming and everything, but what about, you know, the future of CEL um, excites you right now? There's a lot. I mean, um, right. <laughs> it's funny because, um, you know, before the pandemic, we had, I think I mentioned we had our 50th anniversary in October two years ago, and we launched our strategic plan, um, which is a five-year plan. And we had big, ambitious goals. Um, and then the pandemic hit mm-hmm. and we had to, you know, tamper that down a little bit to kind of, you know, survive most important. Right. Um, but it's really about what's on the horizon and that's expanding our virtual programs. Because like I said, there's, um, we can bring that to more people um, throughout the country or, you know, outside of our Chicagoland region and beyond. Um, And the employment program, there's so much opportunity for growth for our employment program Um, and just getting more people employed. It's so exciting when, you know, you hear a member say they got their first job or I think a few weeks ago, we had two members who had just started a job. They got their first paycheck. It's just mm-hmm. so exciting to see, you know, everything that that can happen when somebody's given an opportunity. Yeah, I can only imagine. Um, you know, talking to you today, it's been so clear um, that this mission really drives uh, you personally, the work that you do for CEL, but also the overall mission of CEL. Um, is very evident in all the work that they do. Um, So as just a few final wrap-up questions here, I wonder um, what advice you might have for a young professional um, getting started in um, the field of, you know, communications. What is, do you have any advice for them? I think my advice would be just um, to make sure that your personal mission matches um, the organizational yeah. mission because um, it's it's so much easier to go to work and tell a story and and you can be confident in in what you're I guess selling. Um, it, it just makes work that much easier when. Um, yeah. You believe in the mission. It's a lot easier to sell something that you uh, enjoy yourself. <laughs> exactly. And so finally, this is, you know, bridging Chicago. And so, you know, I know that the things we're allowed to do right now are kind of limited. But within Chicago, during normal times or even during the pandemic, what is one of your favorite things to do? Oh, that's a good one. One of my favorite things to do um, is just to be at the lakefront um, <laughs> in the summer, like the festivals, not the big festivals. I don't like the big, mm-hmm. big festivals. I like the smaller um, uh, festivals where you're just kind of with, a, 
I guess you're with people <laughs> um, and you're outside and it's just, there's nothing like Chicago in the summer. There just is nothing yeah, like it. There really isn't. I love a street fair as well, but it's really funny. The past couple of weeks, I've gotten a number of people to tell me that the lakefront is their favorite place, which it's one of mine as well. I don't know if we just love our little corner of the lake here in Chicago, or if we're all just, um, that's the only thing we can do right now. Um, but it certainly unites a number of us around Chicago is our love for that uh, lake shore. <laughs> Definitely. It, it's just like, I, I, it's funny because over Labor Day weekend, I was on, I was in Michigan, I was on the other side of the lake. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was just so grounding. And it's just so nice to be connected, um, I guess, to nature. I went on a hike the other day, too. That was nice in um, a forest preserve. So mm-hmm. that would be my second. Yeah. Well, April, I have thoroughly enjoyed our conversation today. Um, I've really enjoyed getting a little deeper insight into the Center for Enriched Living, and I can't see, uh, or I can't wait to see what um, they have in store in the future. So thank you again so much for joining us. Thank you so much, Savannah. It was great talking with you. And thanks everyone for listening. Thanks for listening to this episode of Bridging Chicago as produced by the SATC Solutions Center. Nothing contained in this podcast shall constitute financial, investment, legal, and or professional advice. No professional relationship of any kind is created between you and the podcast host or guest. You are urged to speak with your financial, investment, or legal advisors before making any investment or legal decisions. Furthermore, the opinions expressed in this podcast are not necessarily the opinions of SATC Solution Center, SATC Law, or any of its employees. This podcast is created by the hosts and guests' individual capacities. All opinions on this podcast are or have been rendered based on specific facts under certain conditions and are subject to certain assumptions and may not and should not be used or relied upon for any other purpose, including but not limited to or use in or in connection with any investment purposes or legal proceeding.